The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Kia ora everyone, it's Alex here. I just wanted to give you a little heads up that in this episode we will be discussing a series of incidents on Below Deck Down Under that do mention sexual harassment and sexual assault, so please do take care. Kia ora and welcome to a very special episode, a, a one-off, a, like a... A little bonus episode of The Real Pod, because it's basically my fault. I, I just watched those episodes of Below Deck Down Under last week, and I couldn't stop thinking about them. Uh, I'm your host today, Jane's away, I'm Duncan Grieve, and I'm joined by Alex Casey, live and direct from Christchurch. Hello, Alex. Duncan. Happy birthday for yesterday. Thank you so much. Um, can't think of a better way to celebrate my birthday than talking about genuinely what I believe is one of the great reality franchises of all time. It's just unfortunate it's kind of hooked to this genuinely horrifying incident. Yeah, on some level, it feels like, yeah, I mean, it doesn't change the the fundamental nature of, of, you know, you've made the argument multiple times. I think it's basically unassailable. If you could only have one reality franchise for the rest of your life, make it below deck and and all its myriad spin-offs. Actually, do you want to just explain what it is, if, if there are a few people listening who may not know it? Yeah, sure. So the Below Deck franchise, it follows crews working on super yachts at various points around the world. There's Below Deck Sailing Yacht, there's Below Deck Mediterranean, um, most recently Below Deck Down Under. Um, And it follows these little scrappy crews on their charters where they take extremely wealthy and extremely often demanding guests on these little three or four day trips around so it follows both the charters itself in terms of the crews interacting with these guests, which are often, as I said, kind of wealthy, prominent, real housewife type people. But it also goes inside the dramas on board and, and below deck, as it were, um, between the stews, who are the interior crew who take care of all the cabins and things. The chef, who is always a solo person, who is always in hell, <laughs> trying to put on these luxury meals three times a day for very needy guests. And then the deck crew, who are the outdoorsy, often men, you'll see a very clear gender divide between the interior and the exterior of a boat. And then there's always the captain and a kind of charismatic leader um, who holds it all together. And because it's beholden to the demands of the guests, but also the elements being out on the sea, so you often get storms and craziness and dropped anchors and all sorts, it becomes this perfect amalgamation of, like, 
I've said before, it's like The Apprentice. <laughs> it's like Man vs. Wild. It's Love Island because there's often romantic entanglements between the crew. It's MasterChef when you've got the chef on their own, you know, <laughs> in Hell's Kitchen. It's just this perfect, like, hybrid of everything good about reality TV, I think. And the latest iteration below Deck Down Under obviously has our own Kiwi Chief Stu and Aisha Scott, one of the great below deck characters of all time. Yeah, and we, we Jane and I actually interviewed her, I think it was last year. She's incredible talent. And one of the things that she said in that interview that I think is really germane to what we're about to discuss is that what what she likes about the show and, and finds authentic about it is because they are really working, they're really working like 18-hour days, there is nowhere to hide. You can't really shoot it in the same way that you do most other reality shows. It's not constructed in that way, which is why it's just even in this era where you know we've, we've suffered through this period of bloat with New Zealand reality, this show is pacey and tight uh, and sh genuinely shocking quite frequently in, in different ways, very funny as well. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a magic show. And last year, famously for, for listeners to this podcast, we basically were, were kind of lukewarm on the first season of Below Deck Down Under, even though there were some great characters that just somehow never quite elevated to the level of the kind of the, you know, the classic Below Deck Med type seasons. And as a result, I think, Alex, you were the only one of the three of us who was, was watching Down Under. And I just remember getting messages from you just going, no, 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 the, something's happening here. And yeah. The second season has been quite extraordinary, even prior to, to the incident. Should we try and sort of set that up a bit? What, what is it, do you think, about this season that's made it so kind of electric where, where it was, was fairly just not so much last year? Yeah, I'm trying to think back to last year because I don't even know necessarily what it was. I think also because always with Below Deck in general, when you enter a new franchise, or even a new season, there's always this kind of trepidation because you feel such a loyalty to the crew you've just spent time with. <laughs> and there's always a few episodes where you're like, I don't know if I like these people. But I think with last season, perhaps because it was more Antipodean, we've got Captain Jason, who was like a beautiful kind of gentle giant soul. It didn't feel as sort of spicy. There was way less conflict. And when you've seen the heights that Below Deck can get to, thinking like Hannah as Chief Stew and Below Deck Med and just the venom that can come between, you know, crew and crew and guests and stuff. Below Deck Down Under just didn't quite have it. It was very nice, I think, and sort of light and a good time. But I don't recall there being necessarily any sort of, of those sort of lightning moments. Um, this season, I think, again, got off to a slowish start, but it was the return of Culver, <laughs> who was the breakout star of, of, of last season, an American deckhand who self-appoints himself as um, the chief entertainment officer. <laughs> CEO. <laughs> and is so happy to pull out like a range of wigs and characters at the drop of a hat. Um, Wearing a very small bottoms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, should the guests require it, which they frequently do. Like these guests, they just want someone to come out in a look sharp costume and do something stupid for them often. It's quite um, funny, right? Like how you have this sort of unimaginable wealth and you 
the sort of main thing you want to spend it on is having these sort of strangers who are serving you dress up funny. Like that genuinely is so frequently a big part of the, the request. We need someone to do the can-can. You know, it's just on the preference <laughs> yeah, sorry. sheet. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, but what was it? I'm trying to think. Is there anything else, Duncan? What is it about this season for you that got you hooked back in? I think what, what made this season so electric for me was that love pentagon as um as Aisha put it where especially in the early episodes there's this kind of you know there's a pentagon has five sides there's sort of five people who have some level of kind of flirtation up to a level of passion kind of thing and it, it sort of rattles around the whole time because you have obviously this kind of the this big beat to Every couple of episodes, they, they go out. They seem to get like extra drunk, even by mm-hmm. below deck standards this time around, which is obviously feeds into where we're going. But the, the the whole thing was just kind of spicy in the same way that the first one was was the first season was a bit bland. But so, I mean, look, that's that's by way of backstory to I think it's episode six and seven of, of this season, uh, where it just kind of exploded Mm. and I mean what's interesting is like from episode one I had a red flag around Luke the bosun I mean we'll talk about the incident itself first I suppose yeah should should we do that this is episode six this is this is a famous like below deck follows a formula so the the crew will have their charter it's it's intensely stressful then they get this massive tip they're always working towards these massive tips from the guests at which point they all get to go out and enjoy a night out together on land. And this was um, the biggest tip, tip I've ever seen? 2000 $25,000 all up, over two grand each, like significantly bigger, and maybe that feeds into it. I don't know. I don't know. But And then they go out on the town. They go out on the town, and again, there's been this kind of building thing between Luke, who is the bosun, which I think is also important to talk about the hierarchy on a boat. You know, he's in charge of the deck crew. He's basically second in command to the captain, I believe. So I certainly know. in the, in, you know, in that, the, in the outside on deck, where's the boat going and how is it staying afloat <laughs> kind of part of the yeah. boat? <laughs> I mean, I will caveat this, but below deck does make you feel like a real boaty. And then you sometimes see that there's probably about 25 other people running the boat who you will never see. You never talk to on camera, but there's like all do the engineers. show me an engineer. <laughs> yeah, I do not want to see that. Um, so Luke, the bosun, has sort of had his sights set on Margot, who I think is the second stew or third stew. Um, third stew. Third stew. I.e. probably the maybe vying for the lowest ranked person if you want to keep the hierarchy going on the boat. Yeah, and from the very beginning, he's sort of expressed interest in her, been extremely flirtatious. I would say been quite predatory from the beginning. I mean, in a very early episode, on their first night out together, I think, he's sort of vying for a kiss from her and... um, well, Does he actually he kisses. Yeah, he 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 kisses. He he asks her to close her eyes, and he plants a. It's sort of a peck on the lips, but it is you know it's very like the Spanish football coach kind of, uh, or football manager, sorry, kind of situation. It was clearly there was no consent given, and even though she was flirting with him, you can see how afterwards she's just trying to figure out how to deal with it in real time. Yeah, yeah, and that and that happens very like shockingly early on, and you know I think would have raised red flags for a lot of people watching and 
His behaviour sort of continues. I mean, on the big night out, everyone gets extremely drunk. And well, there's a weird thing that happens, right? Because so, so Margot, when she's sober, is flirting with, with Harry, likes Harry. He's this gangly, dorky guy. Luke also hooks up with Laura, who's this Eastern European, very forward. She's her own problem that we'll probably get to. But, you know, and at that point, Margot's like, oh, I don't like this guy, you know, they basically hook up in a bathroom. Who knows what happened in there? So you know you've got this this sort of setup before they go out on on this big night out. Mm. And he's being extremely persistent. You know you can tell even throughout the course of the night, Aisha, who you know is is also getting hammered along with everyone else, is saying in her interviews, and you can notice in the moment she is taking note of the way that Luke is kind of hovering around Margot, who herself is getting very drunk. And when they, I think, start kind of packing up to go back on the boat, she says, I'm going to stick to Margot. I think she needs a chaperone. You know, there's these really gross moments in the van where Margot is basically passing out on Luke. And there's these mentions of kind of like gobbies and stuff and these gross sort of comments start getting floating, floating around. And there's just a real air of like danger. Yeah, <laughs> so you can that, yeah it. it's, it's, it's incredibly tense. And... You know, Luke's so, like, Luke is also smashed. Like, mm-hmm. Luke t- steals a plant from from the restaurant, and he's carrying it, like, over one shoulder, and it just sort of falls off, and he just looks around at it, and then just sort of wanders away, and there's this very cute shot of Culver just sort of picking up the oh. the, the, uh, <laughs> the pieces, and you're just like, that is the their two characters, just perfectly, you know, in miniature. Totally, totally. So they get back on the boat, and then there's this, like, there's this real series of sort of chaotic moments where I mean, Aisha gets Margot into bed. Margot is like comatose, you know, at this point. She is, she's blacking out and Aisha gets her into bed and, and kind of sits with her, lies down with her. She says, I just want to make sure she gets to sleep safely and she's in bed safely so I can, you know, I can relax. Aisha, of course, is somebody who's talked openly about having been sexually assaulted herself in previous seasons. It came up in a season of Below Deck Med when her actual kind of love interest at the time, Jack, made a joke about sexual assault and she said, you can't say that because that's happened to me. And it was, again, one of these like extremely like real moments that just erupts out of this totally fantastical, strange kind of pirate setting. Um, so we know that Aisha's kind of got got this history and it's something she's really conscious of. She gets Margot to bed. Then there's this power cut. Right, that comes out of nowhere on the boat. It's sort of and it hasn't out. been explained. Almost to the point where you're like, I don't know if I'm being sort of galaxy brain here, but I'm like, did Luke cut the power to mm. to allow himself the cover of darkness to go and do his dastardly deed? Like, yeah, it's 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 bizarre. And it's again, it's like you see the characters come out because the deck crew go and start trying to plug things in or whatever on the deck. Luke, who at this point is just wearing a towel, having, I think, been in the jacuzzi on his own briefly, then launches in the darkness into Margot's room, where she is is comatose, slams the door. I think, I don't know if he slams the door immediately, but he basically gets into bed with Margot. Naked. Naked, and starts kind of whispering in her ear, at which point the production crew, you you can feel a palpable, like you start to see people on screen, they're panicking. They're trying to get him out of the bed. He's refusing. He sort of starts slamming. The, they're opening the door and they're just trying to say gently but firmly, you can't be there, bro. 
And it's the first time we've ever seen, you know, there's been an emerging trend lately of seeing more and more production that hasn't really happened on Below Deck. There's kind of no room for it. This is mm. the first time I recall seeing and feeling the production. Like you genuinely almost forget they're there. And he's totally. slamming the door, gone behind the eyes. They're just trying to get in. It, there's a real sense of anything is on the table here. It's proper scary. Yeah, and I do like, they act extremely quickly. I mean, they had to. Like, you could you could tell. And, you know, think about the p- kinds of people who would become reality TV producers. I know some of them, and they are extremely perceptive. You know, they have to be. They have to see stories coming a mile away. They have to see behavior. And they, I imagine, would have been freaking the fuck out all night about Luke hovering around Margot. Well, that's the thing, right? Because there's part of you that's like... You know, what, what, when they when they are debriefing about this, obviously they got, you know, this, this you can disassociate the the act from how jaw dropping this television is, just at least for the purpose of discussing it. Like, there was a case for sort of stepping in earlier than mm. this. Like, there were people like part of when when Aisha was lying with Margot, I was like, is she in the recovery position? Because this person genuinely looks like they could die of mm-hmm. they're they're in that kind of very red zone of um boozedness and then luke is not a million miles behind to not not to be fair to him but just like you can just sort of see that he is he's gone behind the eyes the next day he 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 says he doesn't really know what what happened this isn't to defend it but this is just the level of intoxication and you sort of wonder how much how they weigh that because there is a bit of a this happens on the high seas, international waters feel to a lot of what happens on below deck at times. Like it feels lawless. Mm, mm. And that's the realest thing as well as you remember in that moment, particularly in what happens next when you see the way Aisha reacts. You remember, this is a workplace. That's you know? right. Like- <laughs> that's the thing that is stunning, right? Because for everything that happens, this is a show about a workplace more authentically than almost the, – than, a lot of shows that, that mm. pretend to be about workplaces. Totally. And as soon as, so as soon as the power, I mean, the power cut thing, it's such a horrifying sequence to watch anyway, but the fact that it happens in this sort of chaotic where it's dark and Luke almost appears to sort of seize that moment of chaos to, to do this thing. He obviously gets intervened to our, to our knowledge. Nothing actually serious kind of physical happened. Production managed to get him away. He slams himself in his room. Aisha immediately runs down the hallway and is like, what the fuck's going on? She's completely panicked, completely emotional, like obviously probably feeling sick about the fact that she had just left Margot alone like mere moments ago. Um, And she immediately goes and wakes up the captain, which is like such a boss move. She's just like, this is humongous. You know, this is really dangerous. This person has just done something that really, you know, threatens the livelihood of this crew. And the way that they just act so quickly and with so much like generosity towards Margot mm. and understanding of the seriousness of the situation is honestly like just incredible. I was absolutely blown away by it. Agree. Like it, it felt like, you know, irrespective of how they got to that point and the critique you could have made uh, over the path or how far it got, from the moment that Jason is involved, it is kind of a felt like a kind of a masterclass in crisis management. Basically, Luke gets ordered off the ship. Again, I think he's probably still back out even now. I, you know, I don't know how long elapses here, probably an hour or two. But he he's just sort of 
gone. He, he, he shambles off into a van. He's taken to a hotel and, um, and that is basically the end of him. He, he returns the next day to, to pick up his bags. Meanwhile, Laura is still up with Adam, who mm-hmm. has repeatedly told her no. Now, obviously, there's a whole different dynamic here in terms of hierarchy, in terms of the general, um, the, you know, it's a it's much smaller woman on a much larger guy. But th- this also feels pretty um, uh, ick. And I think this is where they didn't go hard enough. You know, production and the crew. I mean, eventually Laura does get her comeuppance. But, but not for that. Exactly, exactly. So Laura, Adam is this very sweet kind of ex-Navy, I think. Brooklyn this, guy, yeah. Yeah, Brooklyn guy who um, Laura has taken a shining to. And she, again, in this very kind of like aggressive sort of way, has been targeting him all night, getting in his face, touching him when he's asked repeatedly not to be touched. And he takes himself to bed, also drunk. She kind of like mounts him and tries to massage him while he's passing out. There was just like so much going on on this boat. Um, production. Well, this this is all in one being. night within the this, this space of a couple of hours. I don't even know how you shoot it or manage it. It's And it's a workplace. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so production, I mean, I think they give her a bit more rope unfairly to actually like do you know, to to be in his space when he clearly doesn't want her to. I don't think they should have let her do that for that long, but eventually get her down and get her to bed. And then, I mean, the next morning is its own thing because then you've got Margot who wakes up and is piecing this together and seeing her realise in real time what had happened to her without her consent and also what could have happened is genuinely, like, shattering. It really is. It's the most real depiction of what is appallingly but really a very frequent reality for for women and just to see it i don't know have you seen anything like that before i've never seen anything like it and genuinely like the whole these two episodes i was just like crying hysterically (laughs) because it's just it's so relatable it's so it's something anyone who's you know been drunk before or been out or had any of these kind of interactions with men it's just like it's your nightmare, you know, it's your nightmare and waking up to realising that something had happened to you. And also then the added fact that, you know, she's like on a boat, you know, she's out, she's away from her family, she's at work, <laughs> she's in this really stressful environment. Luckily, you know, for the most part, the crew completely, you know, envelops her in love and support apart from Laura. Well, she feels so this... touched by the mo- by the most part. Like, you know, she, you know, there's this... She, she, I can't remember the exact words she used, but she basically describes the general crew reaction actually of, as of immense love. And it really does feel that way. That there is this kind of, we're going to wrap our arms around you thing. But as you say, the one person who's not like that is Laura. And she isn't just like a bit off message. She is, it's one of, it's, it's, it's unbelievable the extent to which she directly undermines Margot says that she would have loved it if Luke did that to mm-hmm. her. Mm-hmm. Uh, was asking whether he had an erection. Like it was, it was just like incredibly inappropriate. Really shocking. And she's really sympathetic to Luke, you know, saying this has sort of gone too far. He shouldn't have... We didn't get to say goodbye. Warning. Yeah. And so when news of this gets back to the captain, which it does quickly because it naturally really upsets Margot, 
who goes to Aisha, who of course is just like keeping all the lines of communication open, is really the like the hero of this whole situation. Correct. Um, immediately goes to Captain Jason, says that, and he again just decisively but calmly is just like, well, we can't have someone like that on our team. And then so Laura is cut as well. And and I mean it's interesting, right? Like, and I thought that they again handled that well. Like it wasn't. Uh, they they never asked Margot what she wanted, like which I mm. think would have been really hard for her to say. I want, you know, my my colleague, my 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 senior colleague, to be taken off. They just told her what was happening. It was absolutely the right thing to do. But there's just so many things about it where, from this appalling situation, they really manage it, shoot it, kind of convey it in a way where you're like. You know, you've seen this kind of thing portrayed on television, largely fictionally, but occasionally, uh, you know, in, in factual shows as well. And rarely has it been so dangerous. Mm-hmm. I can't ever think of it having been handled so with so much sort of integrity from a very dangerous, you know, uh, you know, potentially catastrophic position. I also just think the way that, and, and again, it's kind of out of necessity, right, of the way that Below Deck appears at least to operate and be produced, but just the fact that they capture everything. There's no question that they were going to just cut and kind of sort this out. The fact that they sort of just stare it down and capture the entire process, like you say, from the moment of crisis to the, you know, the rebuild of this this horrible situation is unlike anything I've seen. I mean, there might have been something similar sort of happened, I think, in a season of Survivor where there was a male contestant who I think was sort of, you know, um, cuddling up to people inappropriately and that was sort of captured in a similar way. But it's just incredible, incredible, like, I almost want to say, like, a capturing of social history rather than even, like, television making or reality TV. It just felt like, Nothing I've ever seen anywhere, scripted, unscripted, you know. Yeah, that that's that's how it how it felt to me too. That that we were watching something at once incredibly routine. Like this is unfortunately the lived experience of millions of women all over the world, and yet, despite particularly over the last you know decade or two huge amount of uh you know different sort of uh, attempts to, to depict it and this isn't to denigrate them but there was just something so visceral about this uh so and you know and some of it just down to the fundamental nature of the show as you, you were just describing in terms of there being nothing that was missed there was a like a sort of a fierce unblinking nature to the way that they rendered it um, it's very lucky that you know they they played out the two episodes back to back. They had all the requisite warnings, but it was I just you know for, for something which is happening really in a pre- relatively sparsely populated tributary of the entertainment sort of industrial complex, there won't be many, if any, things to air this year that were just quite so shockingly powerful. Yeah, and I'm certain it's not just a reflection of, you know, how everything and everyone has kind of changed in their reactions to these sorts of moments, but I'm sure the show itself has its skeletons. (laughs) Like, Below Deck has been going for a long time. I have not seen the early seasons, but you've got to imagine in this sort of situation where you've got, you know, young crews, lots of alcohol, 
all these crazy pressure environments that the show has probably made a few missteps, I would say, in relation to that. To- totally. And I mean, and that's the other thing that you think when you're watching it is 10 years ago, 20 years ago, probably nothing happens. Actually, mm. something awful happens mm-hmm. and it's not covered at all or even recognised for what it is, you know. And that is the sense of, you know, change and there'd be people watching it who understand things differently about their own experiences or things they might have even done you know like it's a pretty profound um attempt to wrestle with this thing Mm. that that we we saw and it absolutely brings home you know what i think is one of the the central thesis of the real pod and our love for reality tv which sometimes you know can drift away for months at a time when you're watching something really convoluted like The Traders or these different sorts of shows where you're just like, reality TV reflects life, you know? And sometimes you can forget that because we get into these like really complex formats. But to watch something like this and you're like, this is why this genre is so important, you know? This is why we all continue to watch it, but it also continues to provide something back to us, which is this is how we are. This is how people operate. This is... This is the state of the world. And I'm just bizarrely grateful, <laughs> Like, even though I know it's a horrific incident for these couple of episodes of Below Deck, because it's really reminded me of, yeah, I guess the deeper meaning in the genre. Yeah, I totally agree. And, uh, and I think that's probably a pretty good place to end it. Um, thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed this discussion, this is what we do behind the paywall now. Um, so... Go to therealpod.substack.com, sign up for our newsletter, and if you sort of like the vibe, you can uh, uh, sign up for for that. Um, Otherwise, we have Remember When, our sort of pop culture New Zealand nostalgia podcast, which goes out weekly on a Thursday. Um, Thanks so much for for joining me to to chat about this, Alex. Um, Thank you, Duncan. And we normally have way more laughs. I will say that too. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. It was a very atypical episode. But, uh, you know, I I, I think what you said at the end there about this feeling like it was absolute dead centre of why the real pod exists um, is, is, is right. But as also, as you say, yeah, most, mostly it's a, a little less uh, earnest than that. But uh, yeah, um, thanks for joining us and uh, yeah, kakite. Kia ora e te iwi, te ai he butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.